All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Monday edition of the Jason Greger Show, and I'm at the Sports Leader TSN 1260, as always presented by Play Alberta. .ca, Alberta's only regulated online gambling website, where uh, 100% of the revenue stays right here in the province. And it is the, it's a day of mourning in, uh, in Orders Nation. It might be a week of mourning, because I, I think this, this one stings Order fans. I, I think watching the reaction from Leon Dreisaitl and others, the fact that the Orders had a day off today, not, and then tomorrow and, and Wednesday they'll address the media, uh, th- this one cut deeper. I think it'll last longer with them. Uh, this is a team that is closer, but obviously not close enough. And the, the lessons that you learn in the postseason can be extremely painful. You look at, you know, there's there's different reasons why the order's lost. I don't think you can pinpoint this on one individual. Or one, it was, you know, you win it as a team, and a lot of times you're going to lose as a team. You know, the orders had, they had too many defensive miscues at, at key times in the series. They uh, they didn't bear down on some chances when they had good chances to finish. You know, coaching made some decisions at times that, that weren't the best. You know, the orders took some ill-advised penalties at times. There's a lot of different things. And, hey, Vegas played well. Give them credit. Vegas played well. You win 4-2. They were the more, I think it's safe to say they were the more consistent team in the series. The first four games was back and forth. Games five and six were, were closer than any of the first four games. But Vegas, especially in the second period of both games, 
were clearly the better team. And that's what won them a series. And I'm sure it's going to be hard to take for the Edmonton Oilers. You know, you, you look at Leon Drysaddle, you could tell he was disappointed, felt like he needed to play better in game six. And, you know, this is a guy who's, you know, being one of the most prolific playoff performers. Last four games, he only had a point, which by his standards is well below. And uh, they were on the ice for too many goals against. All right, Matias Ekholm, maybe their most consistent defender, puts a puck into the slot area 20 seconds into game six. Boom, one nothing. You wouldn't expect that. It's Stuart Skinner, who'd been pretty solid all year long, just couldn't get a save when they needed it. The uh, you know the first two goals, I don't blame him at all. The uh, the third goal, it's a point shot, hits his shoulder, and he says, you know what? Normally, I'm putting that up into the mesh behind me. Goes up, lands on the goal line goal. Uh, the fourth one, probably a save he needs to make. Oh, Jay Woodcroft. It would have been a tough decision, make no mistake about it. I, I said it on Friday after they lost. I put it out there. I said, I would start a Jack Campbell at that point. And I understand people, yeah, but Skinner's bounce back every game, sure. But when you're pulling him that consistently, you're always looking for the bounce back. That in itself can be a risk. Now, even if Campbell played, there's no guarantee they would have won. Let me make that abundantly clear. Zero guarantee they would have won. I don't know. If, I, I don't see how. I guess maybe he could have made an unreal save in the first goal. Maybe. I don't see how he would have played the second goal any different. That was a that was a great redirection pass by Barbashev. Pretty much no chance. Well, but maybe he makes the other ones. I don't know. We'll never know. That's what I'm sure can be frustrating for coaches and players as they play the what-if game and, well, what if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? And it can eat away at you. It's why the playoffs are great when you win and just an absolute kick in the junk when you lose. There, there's no middle ground. Right now, you know, hey, Edmonton got swept by Colorado last year in the in the third round. Now, Colorado was a juggernaut. They were one of those rare teams that it wasn't easy for them. They were just really good. They didn't, didn't really have any glaring weakness. They didn't get great goaltending, but they didn't need it. They were just a dominant team. This year, there hasn't been a dominant team. Vegas has been good. Not dominant. Like, the order spanked them in two of those games. Florida hasn't been dominant. They've been on a real big roll after starting down 3-1. to one. Right Since then, they went 7-1 and one against two teams with 110-plus points. It's pretty good. Right, the Carolina Hurricanes. Despite some key injuries, they're rocking and rolling. And and Carolina, I wanted to bring them up today because, to me, they are the prime example of why the playoffs can be so exciting, so frustrating, so completely unexpected for any team. Jordan Martinuk scored 10 points in the second-round series win over New Jersey. 10 in only... Five games. You know, he's producing like Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. And and he's not a top-line player. He's never been a top-line player. Could anyone have predicted that? Anybody? I I, I don't see, uh, I honestly, I don't see how you could say, okay, guys, this is the game plan. I think we're going to expect uh, Martinuk's going to be a real big performer for us. Jordan Martinuk, in his first 
if you count the games, because he had no points, by the way, in the first uh, series win. Zero. So in his career, he had 10 points in the last five games. He had 11 points in his first 41 playoff games. You can, the playoffs are extremely difficult to predict. You can, you can get mad, and I understand it, but you say, oh, this should have happened. And Hey, uh, Kane and Nugent Hopkins needed to score more times. The orders need to defend better. 100%. I get it all. But here's the thing. What happened this year, when the playoffs start next April, it won't matter. And none of the experience, now the experience gain might allow you to make a, a smarter play in the defensive zone. I might have you so you don't take a penalty at, at an ill-advised time, maybe. But if you want to win a Stanley Cup at some point, you need a few players to really go above your expectations. You need your best players to be great. Most nights, but not every night. Heck, I mentioned, remember when Jonathan Taves had one goal? One goal in the first, I think it was, 20 games for Chicago? Heading into the Stanley Cup final? One by their number one center. Most teams wouldn't be able to win then. But they had other guys step up. Then he scored two goals in the Stanley Cup final. And, and he's a, an offensive producer. Now, is Carolina going into the third round against Florida thinking Jordan Martinuk's going to score two points a game? Probably not. But they might have somebody else step up. And, and that's what happens. You Nobody would have said, hey, man, Martinuk's going to come up huge for us in the postseason. Right? He had two goals in his first 41 playoff games. Then he scored three in that series against New Jersey. <laughs> like, you, you don't know. It could drive you crazy if you, if you want because it's unpredictable. That's what makes it exciting. Makes it nerve-wracking. You know, there's some players in the orders. Hey, there are going to be changes in Edmonton. Right? There's obviously going to be some changes. They, they have a few guys. When you when you look up and down the lineup, they, they just simply can't afford everybody. That's just the reality of the salary cap era. Now, Edmonton, uh, Mike Smith, and Oscar Clapbaum will uh, come off. So they, won't, they shouldn't be in uh, LTIR when the uh, season begins. And that will give them some flexibility that they can at least accrue cap space, potentially, during the season. It would be easier, especially if the cap goes up $3 million, unless it only goes up $1 million. But Nurse, Ekholm, CC, Kulak, they're under contract. Broberg, DeHarnay, they're all under contract. Evan Bouchard needs a contract. He's going to get one. But he doesn't have arbitration rights. And so people will say, sign him long-term, just seven years, seven mil right now. How do you do that? You have to make a significant amount of other moves. And the Oilers, even now, as good as their team is, they still had some weaknesses. And it was obvious on the right side. They, they need some more scoring as a right winger. So where are you going to get that? Now, you can trade Yamamoto. I understand everybody says, hey, trade Yamamoto. You're not getting value for $3 million. Totally fair. But who's going to take him? Do you think you can find a Carolina team that will say, yeah, we'll take a shot at him at the deadline. We'll eat $3 million in cap space. And we're not concerned because we'll healthy scratch him in the playoffs. Like, there's not many teams like that. Right? Like, that's... That's rare. So and Yamamoto isn't six foot four. Right? Poyarvi will likely re-sign in Carolina, but for like a million bucks. And if Kyler Yamamoto had a million dollar contract, you'd be like, Yeah, I'll take Yamamoto a million bucks, he'll score twelve goals, chip in on the penalty kill. Okay, it's not great. I think Kyler Yamamoto is what I've said for many years. When the orders are truly competitive, I don't believe he's a top six forward. And that's not a knock at him. There's nothing wrong with being a bottom six for it. I think it'd be easier for him. 
But when you make 3.1 mil, it's hard to have them in your bottom six unless you have two guys in your top six on you know entry level deals or a veteran making 750 or 800 grand. Edmonton doesn't really have that. Now, can Dylan Holloway move in next season? Maybe. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not going to lock it in. I think he'll get an opportunity. The only other forward in the organization that I think has a chance to make the team next year that wasn't here this year is right ringer Raphael Lavoie. Raphael Lavoie coming off the knee injury. It took him some time to get going. He was their best player the last three months in the American League. And now this will be a massive summer for him. A massive summer of just training, getting quicker, getting stronger, ensuring that uh, that he's ready to roll. Right Now the thing about Lavoie is he actually requires waivers next season. Right? So... Um, I, actually, let me double check that. I'm pretty sure uh, he does, if I if I'm not mistaken. So that will probably increase his chances, maybe, of uh, of making the team. Yeah, he's played three years of uh, of pro hockey, so his entry level deal is done. Now he's not gonna he's not gonna command a big number by any stretch of the imagination. Right, it probably actually might even be less than his 925 AAV that he had this season. So we'll see what he signs with. But I don't know if they have anybody else on forward. Like, I'm not sure Xavier Borgo is ready yet. Right? Um, Noah Philp, I think there's another guy who could come to camp and push James Hamblin. Those guys, they got a chance to push for a spot. Right? So there, I'd give two other names. I think those are it. But Nick Bukestad, how do you, can you re-sign him? What, what's he going to look for? Derek Ryan. I think he could re-sign, probably even less than, than he made this year. Clem Costin's an interesting one to me because, you know, he made the league minimum 750. He has Arbright's. If you're a Clem Costin, you're going to file for arbitration. And I, I think Edmonton has a number in where they'd want to go, but the coach also didn't play him a ton. So, you know, what do you do there? There'll, there'll be some changes. There's no question about it. Right? Um, you know, I think the orders, you know, were interested in Connor Brown last year. I think they'll be interested in him again this year. He, you know, he can get a bonus contract if you want, so can have a lower base that maybe hurts you next year. We'll see, the following year. We'll see. Defense. I'm not sure I'm ready to just say, okay, Philip Broberg can be the third pair of defense and move out Brett Kulak. I think the orders are in win now mode. And it's not a guarantee that Broberg's going to be that guy. I think he has to get stronger. When I watched him play, I I didn't see him use his speed, which is his biggest asset as often, and I thought he got pushed off the puck too evenly. So, you know what? That's a maturing process. Could you risk it next year? Maybe. But we'll see. There'll be some decisions. And the other one is you might see a change in management. You, um, you know, Frank Saravalli, we talked about it today in our Daily Faceoff podcast, wrote an article about Oilers Nation, that you could see uh, Steve Stales come in as a GM, kind of in a mentorship with Ken Holland. It doesn't mean that Ken Holland's going to be completely out of it. I don't I don't think Edmonton is going to hand the keys over to an inexperienced, like at the NHL level, GM. But if you have the process of succession planning now, you know, there, there is the risk that, that Ottawa, if you like someone in your organization, you've got to do things to keep them. That's just how it goes, right, especially in management. Now, you can't keep all of them, 
But if you feel like, you know what, where Ken's Holland at? Uh, he's got one year left in his contract. You know, how much longer does he want to be in as the GM? You probably want a succession plan. And that's an easy way to do it. Where Ken, Ken Holland can be the president of hockey operations. Steve Stales is the general manager. They work in unison as a tandem, and Steve Stales learns some stuff. Now, he's been a manager at other levels. He's done quite well at it, but not at the NHL. So those are, you know, those are some possibilities, right? I, I think Jay Woodcroft will, will learn from, from this playoff run. You know, last year they, they ran the big guns a lot because they had no choice. This year, I thought their, their, their sixth to 12 forwards were fine. Right. Zach Hyman was obviously banged up. You know, Kane coming off that wrist injury wasn't the same player he was last year. I also didn't expect him to score 13 goals in 15 games. Because it's really hard to do. I didn't expect McDavid and Drysdale to have two points a game like they did last year in the postseason. It's hard to do. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I didn't expect him to produce similar to his regular season because he's never been a 100-point player. Right? So, But you will need some other guys. The orders as a group need to be better defensively. That's still a thing. Right? Uh, what's interesting is last year they lost in the third round. And people are like, ah, oh, goaltending. But Mike Smith had a 9-13 save percentage last year. Stuart Skinner didn't perform to the level that he would have liked. Got hung out to dry at times defensively. And goalies across the NHL this year, if you look at save percentages, it was lower. Right? Look at Vasilevsky, Hellebuck. Allmark, those guys were all in the 870 to 890 range. It happens. So you don't you don't really know. Hey, Gregor, what would Brad Hall and Keith Gretzky's role entail if Steos gets a new GM? Chris, well, I don't think it would change. Keith Gretzky is the assistant GM, and uh, he's overseeing Bakersfield. And I, I think he would continue on in that role. W- would there be some disappointment there? Yeah, sure. Right? I, I think Brad Holland would, would continue on in his role as well. And, you know, they have a few assistant GMs. They have specific roles. The the orders, up until they brought in Steve Stales around, like they still had a little bit thinner of a management team compared to other teams. So this is kind of maybe just filling it out. All right, we've got a lot of texts coming in at 10, 12, 60. What about Paul Coffey? Paul Coffey is basically an advisor to the owner, Daryl Cates. The, the, the way my understanding of Coffey's role is, um, you know, A, it's part-time. He's not full-time. He's got a lot of business things he does, right? And so I'm not going to take a part-time guy and give him a GM job. It makes no sense to me. But Paul Coffey was kind of a conduit between coaching, management, working with the owners. And I think sometimes when the owner gets emotional and gets fired up, Coffey's the one who talks to him, maybe calms him down, and then says, yeah, yeah, I'll talk to the people. So it 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 can make those conversations a little bit easier. Right? But I don't I don't think Paul Coffey's ready yet to be to be thrust into a, a major role on the team. I think he has an important role, but it's not a major one. So you know, that's you know, Coffey has has lots of wisdom. The there you know what, um he was kind of a glue guy in that organization. I talked to a lot of people in different roles that said, man, Coffee just did a lot of things to make everybody be more in unison. So it's an important role. Right? It's not the main role, but it's an important one. So there you go. Could also uh, text in your thoughts at 10, 12, 60. Got lots on Broberg. 
Hey, Jay Woodcroft. Hey, Gregor, you said start Campbell on Friday. I thought you were wrong. Turns out you were right. Well, that doesn't mean I'm right. And I understood it would have been a difficult decision. But the reason why I would have went with Campbell was was multi-pronged. Does it mean the orders would have won? No, it doesn't. I want to make that abundantly clear. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows had they started Campbell if they would have won. All I know is Skinner had been in it. You know, he'd been sub-900 for a long time. And you could look at the bounce-back games and say, yeah, yeah, he's done that. Great. But you can't you, – to assume that that always was going to happen, I think, was, was a bit much. Now, there is no guarantee Campbell would have played well. All I know is the way he looked for me in game five – he just looked really poised and solid. And I was like, you know what? Here's a veteran guy. Oh, gives a little bit of a shakeup. Doesn't mean that you've lost Skinner forever either. Other teams are going back and forth. If you don't have a main number one guy all year long, why would you suddenly have one in the playoffs? Right. Look at Carolina. Goalies have switched. Right. Look at Vegas. Now, due to injury, whatever, but still. you know, Now, can Aiden Hill carry this the rest of the way? We'll see. I like look at Jay Gonger. He's been their main guy. He's got a 900 save percentage. And he's a good goalie. It's hard to do. So Florida's the one team right now who's riding one guy mainly, and he's been lights out. And this guy's a two-time Vesna Trophy winner. Hasn't won a Vesna in a while, but he's still got the pedigree. So I... Uh, you know, and I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, we got people, oh, it's a technical, Stuart Skinner isn't, it's just, you know what, is Hellebuck suddenly bad? Is Vasilevsky bad? Guys will, guess what, the playoffs now, there's more offense than ever. You're going to have goalies with, uh, with tough numbers. Every year, it's going to happen. So, we'll, uh, we'll see where we go. Coming up uh, on the show, we're going to hear from Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisel. Leon Dreisel, very emotional. Uh, last night was disappointed in, in the outcome of this series. Uh, Woodley will be by. We'll talk goaltenders. Uh, Nick Olchek will break down Game 7 tonight, Seattle and Dallas, in our playoff report. we got Zola Rashog, Paul Sir talking some uh, NBA. Uh, Jay Morant, uh, which, uh, what were they calling him online? Jay Moron. And unfortunately, it kind of fits. The guy's got to wake up, I think, a little bit. All that and more on the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. We continue on. I'm the sports leader, TSN 1260. Welcome back to the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Let's get to Around the NHL, brought to you by McDonald's new fruit splash beverages. They come in three flavors, strawberry passion fruit, peach mango, or lemon. Get yours today at McDonald's. Very refreshing when it's plus 30 in the middle of May. And uh, time to talk a little uh, goaltending with uh, Kevin Woodley from Ingo Magazine, NHL.com. And, uh, Kevin, um, you look at, did you see anything specific in Skinner's game that kind of deteriorated as this series went along? You know what? I'm going to be honest, Jason. I did not. Some some circumstances that prevented me from seeing every minute. Um, you know, I know from talking to people on the other side that there was a conscious attempt to sort of attack the glove. Um, throughout that series, but like I said, I haven't had a chance to sort of look at specifics. You know, I watched the game last night, and you know they're all high danger chances. They look a little scrambled. Um, some tough bounces in there, a great tip to the back door. It just felt at times like you know, in tight and down low, some of the control I talked about as being a strength in terms of you know simple easy movements and using that frame. Um, you know, he just got pulled apart a little bit, uh, stretched out with some lateral plays. And, and like I said, some of it bad bounces. It's tough last night because they're all high danger that ended up in the net. It's not like he's, not like he was giving up 60 footers in that game. Um, 
But at the same time, I think when Stewart's at his best, he's over his knees, he's in control, and he's not getting extended. He's not diving head first. As nice a play as that was, um, and as much as you have to come outside of the box a little bit sometimes and, and just open the car doors, goalie 911, get there however you can, you know, like to me, Stuart Skinner at his best is not diving head first, um, on, you know, on any play. And so maybe that's a sign, I don't know of what. Um, I've heard talk of fatigue and hadn't played that many in a row. And was that too much? I'd be honest, I'd want to talk to him and see whether he felt like, you know, like he was drained, as much as you're not going to want to admit that. Um, you know, did did the workload become too much? Because, you know, listen, like, they wouldn't be the only team guilty of, you know, just riding the guy because he's the guy. We're, we've seen it in these playoffs where some teams are willing to go back and forth um, and other teams, I think of Boston as the prime example, a lot of talk there about, you know, hey, the tandem worked all year, why not go with it? Obviously, Edmonton wasn't in a tandem situation per se, but there has to be a point where, hey, we've never asked this guy to play this much. Is it too much? And obviously an elimination game is a tough one to go to Campbell in. Um, and maybe that's a mistake, not giving him the start uh, you know, at another point sooner. Uh, because it's really easy. This is the other part, Jason, that, that you've got to be careful about. right? Like, I can look up the stats and I'd be like, on adjusted save percentage, Jack Campbell is the only guy in the NHL right now in these NHL playoffs that has a higher adjusted save percentage than Igor Shosturkin at plus 4.8%. Why the hell didn't you put him in the net? Well, that's really easy to say when you're just coming in in relief. And I know there was a game where they came back in, so there were some pressure-packed minutes included there. But it's an entirely different animal, especially for a goalie who I think we've talked about, you know, if there are questions, it's between the ears as much as between the pipes. Um, And not having the expectation of being the starter, uh, maybe even more so in an elimination game, versus just a guy coming off the bench in mop-up duty. It's a little easier to post that plus 4.8% in the circumstances he was thrust into than it might have been if he was given that start. So comparing them and expecting the same performance, um, you know, that might not be that might not be fair. Might not be fair, but I, I think the numbers you said, based on Skinner's numbers, I said it on Friday, I, I would have contemplated it. And especially after seeing Boston, like, like Stuart Skinner never started 12 games in a row all year long. Right? We, Linus Omar had right. started more than two games in a row for five months and, uh, and then, you know, started six in a row before they went to Swayman in game seven. And I just, I know you talked about this. There's, there's others that have mentioned it that, you know, if, if you're a tandem during the regular season for lots of it, maybe you should continue because that's what got you there. You didn't get there with one guy. Yeah, you know, and it's and yet, uh, you know, when he got pulled and there was this question, and I think, you know, I, th- I think you were on with me and, st- like, we're all three of us, me, Strutty, and you, that, that the one time where there was this question in the first round, and you know, I kind of went with Strutty. I was like, I think they're going to go back to Stuart Skinner, but I would have considered going the other way. And this is the hard part of those decisions. There's no easy time to do it, right? Like, so if, if the first time you make that choice is last night in an elimination game, Man, that's that's a ballsy choice, right? Like so, so that's where I think, you know, much like Boston, same thing. Like they start Swayman in Game Seven. I thought there was an opportunity there to do it sooner um, rather than waiting so long. But that's just listen. We've talked about this for years. I've talked about it for years. Whether it's a straight up rotation or just finding a way to use two, you know, I think we're 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 at that point. 
at the very least, where it's going to become more the norm than the exception to the rule. And if you're not willing to consider it, um, if you're just, we got to have one. If we don't have one, we don't have a guy. Or if we have two, it means you don't have one or whatever the cliche is. It's just an, it's just outdated thinking. Um, the demands of the position, the stress of the position, the balance between one and two, there just are so few workhorse number ones. And like you said, Allmark is the prime example, not just because of what he did during the season and back and forth. ever historically and you still couldn't you, you know what I mean Like, and that makes it hard to go to a tandem with a guy like that and yet they ended up needing both anyways if the guy who had one of the greatest seasons ever in 39 games couldn't get through a round then why are we expecting you know a rookie in his first postseason to get through 12 straight yeah no it's totally, uh, it's totally fair. So now we look at uh, you've got Florida. Like Florida's really the one team. Like Carolina's played multiple goalies in in their playoff run, which they had all year long. Um, Bobrovsky has been lights out for Florida. Now this is a guy who has two Vesnas on his pedigree, so you can say, hey, this guy's shown it before. It's been a while, but he's been unreal for Florida. Um, Ottinger has been the main guy in Dallas, and Seattle's got to him. Uh, he's been pulled a few times, or sorry, Seattle's got to him a few times, and, and Grubauer. What do you make of of uh, the goaltending, and obviously then there's Aiden Hill, but what do you make of Grubauer and, and uh, Ottinger tonight, and what is why is Seattle being able to get to Ottinger so well in this series? Well, I mean, I think Seattle's a challenging team. I actually talked to Ottinger about this. I was down there for games three and four. Didn't get back for six um, because I was in Calgary. But in three and four, we talked about, like, the thing that makes Seattle tough, we all know about their depth, right? We've heard about, you know, I think they've got 19 different goal scorers now or 18 different goal scorers um, already through two rounds. But it's the fact that they've got the Daniel Sprongs and and the – uh, Eli Tolvanen's on like third and fourth lines. Like these are guys that are high per, high percentage shooters. The types of guys that you don't necessarily expect to see on third and fourth lines. And the way they deploy them is quite interesting. And so far as a goaltender, you know, Ottinger told me they've talked about this with Jeff Reese, the goalie coach. They talked about it going into the series. Like you can't relax because the fourth line's on the ice. And not that in the playoffs as a goalie you relax anyways. But like it's not just that they have you know, some yeah fourth liners with some decent skill, lots of energy. Like these guys are snipers; they only need one shot to pick a spot, and so they they're kind of a difficult team on all goaltenders the way Seattle plays. And so there's a bit of an element to that. You know, I think you know this is the other thing we talked about Skinner. We talked about the like you never get more exposed than in the playoffs. The longer you go, the more chance other goalie coaches have to really dig in. And the more attention the shooters are paying to the reports those goalie coaches and outside consultants provide on these goaltenders. And there are some things on Ottinger, blocker side, um, you know, a tendency to push across flat. So if you, if you go lateral east-west on him and you don't sort of widen it out, like you're, rather than going dot to dot, you'd be better to actually go dot to the outside of the circle and lower because he tends to come across without working back to his post. And so, you know, we've seen, you know, examples in these playoffs where teams are looking for that and exploiting it because he doesn't stay square, stay on angle on those more severe widened-out angle changes. 
Um, he comes across flat, which, you know, in a bang-bang play on a two-on-one from hash, you know, where that shooter's at the hash mark, that benefits him. He's out-challenging. He's taking more ice. If you stretch him down to the bottom of the circle on that same play, Jason, he is giving up short side of the net like crazy. And those are the types of things that teams look for and teams exploit. I even talked about this when he was incredible against Calgary last year. I didn't think they did nearly enough of that. They didn't attack it anywhere near enough. And so they played to his strength. So I think part of it is that. I think part of it is the legend of Jay Gottinger. Don't get me wrong. Top 10 goal in the league right now. But the expectations that were built off that playoff run he had last year, the seven-game series against Calgary, which is one of the greatest we've seen in the history of hockey, like he was unbelievable. The reality of his last two years in the regular season is a lot of his raw numbers are sort of team influence. That's a strong defensive team. It was under Rick Bonus. They've maintained it with the coaching change. They didn't lose their DNA. Their identity is a defense-first team. He's had, over the past two years, one of the highest expected save percentages in the league. And I think the, the hype that came with his playoff performance, combined with not maybe recognizing how much of his regular season numbers are team-based, has led to some expectations that, frankly, it's very hard to maintain. And I, too, have been surprised by some of the big numbers that have been put up, some of the hiccups um, that he's had, some of the goals from, from distance that he's given up in this series. Um, but I think also there's some of our expectations for Ottinger have him on a pedestal at the level of an Igor Shosturkin. And, and I don't know that he's there yet. The list of guys who are at that level is very short. And to me, Ottinger is a guy who's in that next tier right below that. So, you know, part of this is part of this is – tendencies being targeted, and part of this is just maybe some unrealistic expectations. What do you make of the goaltending matchup, Florida-Carolina? Who do you favor? It's interesting because you talked about Bobrovsky, and I've seen people talking about him being a, you know, a Conn Smythe candidate uh, already. I think people forget that you know they started the playoffs and got into the playoffs because of Alex Lyon, not because of Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, you know, honestly, like his numbers are good. Uh, he's you know, fifth in the NHL playoffs in adjusted save percentage right now at plus 1.4%. But like, those, aren't, those aren't the type of numbers that even over the course of a season would get you a candidacy for a Vesna Trophy. They'd flirt with the top ten. But we're, not talk- we're not talking about Jay Gotten for last year. Like, he is not. It looks spectacular at times. And I think because of the aggressive nature of his style of play and the athletic nature of his style of play, um, Sometimes we think it's a little more spectacular than it is. This is a team that's defending very well, and that's part of why they are where they're at. Listen, Bob's a big part of it. I just I feel like sometimes the hype that comes with it, and maybe it's where we are in the playoffs and we're heading into an Eastern Conference final, doesn't really match the actual performance and the numbers. Um, so let's see if he can build on that. Consistency has been an issue for him over the last couple of years. We've heard Elliot Friedman talk about you know how long can he go before he fatigues. I think getting rid of Toronto in five games and not prolonging that series will benefit him. Carolina, Freddie Anderson, it's the same case. Like it's Freddie Anderson's expected save percentage is nine ten. That's going to come down against Florida. The question is whether his performance relative to it comes down or not. And there's a still one. If if Antti Ranta is healthy and he's past the illness that took him out of the last series, would not be surprised for a second if we see both of them in this Eastern Conference Final. I know Carolina will consider it. I know they won't hesitate to do it. If they see fatigue or if they see any blip in performance in Freddie Anderson's game, like they are not of the mind that he's our guy, he got us here, we have to ride him. And it'll be curious to see if Bob starts to 
you know, wobble a little bit, whether Florida considers the same or whether they just ride him, because I know Carolina will go the other way if they see those signs. Kev, great stuff, man. We appreciate it as always. Uh, have a, a great week, and, and again, our deepest condolences for your loss. Uh, thanks, Jason. I really appreciate that, buddy. We'll, um, we'll, uh, I'm crossing my fingers. I'd like to cover a little more playoff hockey, so I, I don't cheer for a team, but you know, I, I could use a, I could use a Western Conference final myself right about now. So uh, if you feel like cheering for the Kraken tonight, go for it. <laughs> All right, uh, there you go, uh, Kevin Woodley from Ingo Magazine and NHL.com. Monday edition of the Gregor Show, the uh, playoff morning edition. Oiler fans, that one hurt. I would think, excluding, of course, the Game 7 loss in 2006. And, and even that one, like, it was gut-punching for Oiler fans, but that run was so unreal that it comes down to one game. Like, you, oh, this happened, that happened. They lost one game. Right, uh, I find this one maybe a little bit more frustrating. Brewers, they were hoping. I think the organization, the players, they were all hoping to uh, to go deeper than they did. Didn't happen. They'll have to regroup like a lot of other teams. We'll see what the off season holds. We got lots to talk about on that uh, when we return on the uh, the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca and uh, also uh, hey some. Uh, now it was interesting listening to Leon Drysaddle. Hey man, I gotta be way better. We we gotta be better. I gotta be better in big time. It was very opposite to Joel Embiid. Um, that was one of the more interesting press conferences I've ever heard. We'll discuss that next on the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Two forty-seven of the Sports Theater, TSN twelve sixty. How are you? Welcome back to the Jason Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. As it's time for the uh, NBA report, brought to you by All Tech Supply, the only Canadian-owned Valve Master Distributor that exclusively supports your local supply store. Go to AllTechSupply.com. Strength through distribution. As uh, Paul Sir joins us uh, once again, uh, longtime uh, coach and uh, player in uh, Europe. And, uh, Paul, before we get to basketball, I just want to uh, pass on our, our deepest condolences. I know we had a few weeks off uh, morning the passing of your, your son, Ben. I hope uh, you and your family are all doing okay. Thank you for that, Jason. Uh, we're, we're doing as okay as you can in a situation like this. Uh, it's a long road ahead, but I, I appreciate your condolences. Thank you very much. Paul, now let's let's talk a little basketball. I I want to get your thoughts as a coach specifically. Uh, what do you make of the coach firings uh, that that we've seen uh, right out of playoffs, specifically in Phoenix? That's a strange one to me, uh, Jason. It it really is. Like I, I look at what Monty Williams was handed this year, <laughs> with how unsettled the roster was. Chris Paul's uh, injured. Kevin Durant shows up injured. And then uh, I, I guess, though, the, the only thing I would say is they have new ownership. Obviously, the new owner has his own agenda. My mm-hmm. suspicion is he has his own guy that he wants to put in there. And Monty Williams didn't fit the bill. Uh, I thought, uh, given that given that Durant played very little this year, they did had a decent showing without Chris Paul. But uh, it's the strangest thing uh, to have the kind of firings we've had this year and you, you, you know, you, you make these kind of dramatic changes, bring in an injured superstar who is a superstar, one of the greats of all time, but boy, to not give him a shot into next year, it just seems very strange to me. 
Do you think he ends up in Toronto? What, what what do you see about this coaching carousel? There's suddenly some really qualified coaches on the market. Boy, are there ever. I, I'll tell you, whoever gets Monty Williams gets a really good coach. The players love him. Uh, I think if he ended up in Toronto, that would be a great hire, in, in my opinion. I really like Monty Williams. Budenholzer in Milwaukee, they were looking for a reason to fire him for a couple of years. If he hadn't won the uh, championship a couple of years ago, he would have been gone. I'm not sure what the scoop is behind the scenes other than they just didn't like him there. And and I have to say this, that was a guy who had arguably one, well, certainly one of the top three players in the league. And I felt for him as well, they didn't even have a healthy Giannis in their first round loss to to Miami. He still gets canned. But one thing I will say about Budenholzer, he doesn't make adjustments. He plays, his teams play the same way every game, game in and game out. So uh, that one doesn't shock me as much. But uh, Williams certainly, Nurse, who knows what that deal was with Toronto. But uh, uh, these guys, there, there are some good, there's some good coaches to move around the league. I mean, when you look at, Look at the – you've got Budenholzer won it two years ago, Nurse four years ago, Vogel was fired last year. He was a champ three years ago. Williams is in the finals two years ago. These are some pretty great accomplishments for guys that are getting canned. Speaking of uh, not getting it done, you look at the 76ers and the the Game 7 performance or lack thereof – by Joel Embiid and uh, James Harden. And then Joel Embiid, after the game, basically threw everybody else on the bus and said, ah, you know what, hey, we can't do it ourselves. And I was just like, well, you didn't do anything in that game. <laughs> I'm so glad we get a chance to talk about this. Those two guys, uh, you know, there, it was a very contentious, unfortunate uh, lead-up to the MVP announcement this year. Some issues were brought up that I thought were totally unfair and inappropriate as people were putting their uh, opinions forward on who should be the MVP. But certainly, Joel Embiid being selected as the MVP is not a – it wasn't a stretch. Jokic no. is still my MVP, but Embiid had a phenomenal season. That was demonstrative, though, of what is a head case combined with another head case in James Harden. I mean, I, I don't know how you could have gotten your hands around their throats any tighter – to watch those two guys absolutely fade into the woodwork and bring nothing to game seven, absolutely nothing. And what did we say about James Harden before the season? He can't win, and he doesn't win. And Embiid still hasn't won. So to throw the rest of the team under the bus, when I look at the numbers in game seven, people he threw under the bus had better numbers than he did or Harden did. Mm-hmm. So I, I have no idea, other than immaturity, superstar, uh, uh, lack of accountability, it, it, it was really embarrassing to me. So I'm really happy. This is me speaking. I'm really happy the Celtics are moving forward. Not because I love the Celtics so much. It's just, you, you know, and, and by the way, Doc Rivers will probably lose his job now too. Uh, but good luck to the next coach that comes in and tries to corral these two. Paul Sir joins us, talking a little uh, NBA and Empton Sports Theater, TSN 1260. Um, Paul, the yeah, I won't be surprised about that coaching change either with you. But um, what about the Lakers? What do, you, what do you give them their chances against Denver? I think they have a good chance. I, I would favor Denver. I think Denver will win at six. But the Lakers are 
I'll, I'll tell you, they're not surprising, but they are they are kind of a marvel, really, to me, because, you know, through the year, Jason, we talked about, you know, their, you know, their struggles, and they were big struggles, and add into it the injuries combined with their personnel, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you, management made some tremendous moves there that have really, really paid off, and if both Davis and LeBron can stay healthy through the Denver series. They have a shot. This is a very good basketball team now. And who would have thought we'd be saying that, but they are. And what I, what I think is a testament to LeBron James greatness is his recognition of what Austin Reeves can bring to this team and giving him the confidence uh, in the way that he does, and, and of course Reeves delivering. I mean, the, the, the guy, complete, this is a guy whose agents tried not to get him drafted. <laughs> they literally did not want him to be drafted in the second round, and they had a strategy on how to get him to the Lakers, and it worked out, and, and my goodness, he's been tremendous in the playoffs. He's been a difference maker. Davis has been fantastic off and on, but if he's healthy, LeBron's healthy, they have a shot against Denver. I again, I think going to. How do you win in Denver at, with the elevation and the way the Nuggets play at home? But I, but the Lakers are very very good. Oh yeah, they uh, they are quite good. Uh, Raptors off season. What are you expecting here? I think they'll have to have some big changes uh, with their roster. I mean, I I don't look at this roster and say this is the one we're going to win with going forward. Uh, so I would expect two or three moves in the off season, but uh, uh, I'm curious. Once again, I, you know, certainly Nurse was the subject of a lot of criticism criticism through this year. I think you have to throw Messiah Jury in that in uh, in line for some criticism as well for the moves he didn't make, as well as some that he did. And now when you're staring down the barrel of is Fred Van Fleet your guy to invest a ton of money in moving forward? And I think Fred Van Fleet's a great guy. Is he a championship guy? I don't think he is. But, um, you know, maybe they'll just stay the course and try through the draft and maybe with a couple of free agent signings to shore their lineup up. But, uh, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see because they're betting heavily that Scotty Barnes is going to make that big move next year that he didn't make this year to emerge as the star that they think he can become. So, I would look for some some serious activity in the off season. Well, I'm I'm very I'm with you. I don't think Van Vliet's the guy. I I would trade him if it was me. So same here, same uh, here. I don't 100%. I don't I don't think he's the guy uh, whatsoever. Uh, quickly, uh, locally to uh, basketball, the uh, Stinger season uh, inching closer uh, by the day. Uh, what do you make of their roster so far? C- can you tell kind of what the what they might be like in the CBL? Well. You know, I'm I'm biased, of course, uh, be, because my son's the GM. But uh, what I see in their roster is a well-constructed, thoughtful compilation of very talented players who all bring, I think, different strengths to the roster. Now, it'll be up to rookie coach Jordan Baker, who I have also tremendous faith in, with a very good supporting coaching staff to get this team to play together quickly uh they're going to have a couple of pieces that won't be there right away because they're finishing up their seasons overseas but in a nutshell i think they'll be very very competitive in the cebl and i think they could be very very good in the cebl 
They can shoot. They're quick. They're strong. They're big. They're athletic. Uh, I think they check all the boxes. And now, like I said, it's going to be how these boxes fit together. And uh, I'm, re- I'm really excited about the Stingers this year and excited about the CEBL with their expansion, uh, you, you know, the addition of a couple of teams. I just think it's going to be uh, it's going to be great fun, uh, and you know when we have that opening game next week between Edmonton and Calgary in basketball, I'll tell you that's a great way to start the season, Jason. Awesome, Paul. Really appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, Jason. Thank you very much. There you go. That's uh, Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta. Two fifty nine. I'm the Sports Eater. TSN twelve sixty. Let's get to the uh, con man and a sports center update. Brought to you by Legacy Heating and Cooling. Home of the no payments, no interest for one year on your furnace. Have a cool summer at LegacyHeating.ca. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 